Welcome to the Before 30 Podcast, inspiring conversations about life and work with your host, Auntie Janine and nephew Trey. Well, welcome to Before 30. This is Auntie Janine. And nephew Trey's in the building. And it is a good day. Happy Wednesday. It is. It is. I'm so excited for today. It's just, there's actually some sunshine out here in Atlanta. So finally, yes, the weather's really nice. I know because we've, we probably shouldn't complain too much because our friends in Texas and Louisiana have had a hard time. However, I don't live there. So... (laughs) So it's been so cold here. Yes, I have is. a lot of friends and family in Texas, and it, it they they did have a challenging a challenging week last week. Yeah, some of our team members are are working remote with the photography business. So, um, one person in particular, I know, she was out of electricity, but her house was um, they used gasoline, so they were able to still cook in their fireplace. But she said it's pretty sad, you know, just definitely keeping everyone out there, everyone yeah. affected by it in our thoughts and our prayers. That's a good thing they had a fireplace because what most people don't know is if you have a gas stove, you still got, it still has to have an electrical spark for the gas to come on. So you can't typically use your stove if the power yeah. is out. But so I'm glad they had, you know, yeah. I had a, a friend like that, Jasmine. She had to go be with her parents. Too bad oh, really? for her. But, you know, they had a house full of food. She was <laughs> She said she slept the entire time. So my niece was doing just fine down in Texas. But a lot of people, I didn't understand that whole rolling power thing. I know mm. they do that in California uh, when it's too hot and there's fires and stuff. But they were had like rolling power. It'd be on for forty minutes. It'd go off and then it'd be on in another area. Oh, um, okay. So. That's nice. So even when we had our snowstorm back here, were you still living here when they had the snowstorm here? I did. In- I did. I lived. Yeah. Short story. I lived a mile, two miles away from the office, so I wasn't really impacted. I was able to get home quickly and safely. But a lot of my coworkers, they have just crazy stories. That's another, yeah. st- another guess, story. For another that is day. right. I got home. It took me two hours. But what I was oh, wow. going to say about that is, though, we had bad weather. I don't think we lost power mm. um, the way they did in Texas. But yeah. Yeah. So spring is what, like four, five weeks away. So I'm happy about that. I cannot believe that we are at the end of the month. Can you believe this is the last Wednesday in February? Time is flying in 2021. What? <laughs> it is and remember I said the year didn't start for me until Jan- to February 1st. Exactly. And look at it. We're already two months in. I know, we're already two months in. But I'm excited about this although this month is we're at the end of this month you know yeah. i always say february is my second favorite month after june uh, because my birthday our birthdays are in june yep so june is always our favorite month but february is for me is one of my second favorites i know you don't you don't buy into the love and valentine's day you know listen to our previous episode to hear you know nephew's trace thoughts on that so i just yeah. do it a little differently not that i don't believe in that we just do it different yeah you don't want to be pressured by the man <laughs> <laughs> but what i do love is that you know it's a time for us even if you don't want to say okay this is the only time in the year i'm going to do this but we're going to take we're taking part of this month um, to focus on relationships and dating. And so, and love and relationships. Absolutely. And, uh, situationships and all these other things. it's cold. This is a cold month. So, what do you they know. call that? When people bundle up together? What um, is it? Y'all oh still Lord. doing that? Y'all, I can't wait. <laughs> what is it? It's, uh, it's going to slip my mind. It's going to come back to me. It's, it's some sort of term. Like,
like yeah, cuddle buddies. Is yeah, cuddle not cuddle buddies buddy. Or... Am I aging okay. myself right now? Yeah, you're aging. Yourself. It's gonna come to me, and I'm, it's gonna yeah. right be in the middle of the podcast, and I, it's gonna come to me. So I hope y'all didn't get dumped before Valentine's Day. <laughs> they trying to come back and pick it up, but we're gonna talk about some really great stuff. We have I'm a, excited an expert on the on the show today. She is uh, not only is she beautiful, she is brilliant and talented, and she's gonna tell us all about love and relationships yes and i am super excited (laughs) i'm super excited um for personal reasons so full disclaimer out there um the person that we have on our show as our guest uh, she is actually the therapist for my wife and i prior to us being married um she helped us go through our premarital counseling and couples counseling so i'm super 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 excited to have her on the show um, and so just to give you all a little bit of background about her, um, her name is Dr. Tamika um, and Dr. T, um, that's for her love of tea. Uh, she's passionate about helping women live lives that are whole, authentic, fulfilling and free. Dr. Tamika provides sex therapy, sexuality education and mental health services for women and persons in relationship. She received her bachelor's degree in counseling from Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, where she also minored in women's studies and she received her master's degree in social work from the University of Maryland at Baltimore. And she received her PhD in human sexuality education from Widener University in Chester, PA. Everybody, family, welcome Dr. Tamika to Before 30. Hello. Hi, thank you. Thank you both. I'm so happy to be here. We are excited to have you. And so, although Trey called her Dr. Tamika, she is cousin Tamika, uh, (laughs) but Dr. Tamika in Harris Jackson. So, and we're going to have information where you can reach her um, on both the podcast and you'll get some other information on social media. So if you're in the Orlando area, you can uh, reach out to her and schedule her, which leads me to my first question. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your practice, what you do. Are you licensed? outside of the state of Florida? How, how does all of that work? Yeah, yeah. Excellent question. And so my practice, yes, it's located in central Florida. Um, I'm licensed in Florida. So um, I actually provide services to people not only in central Florida, but throughout the state because we also do teletherapy. And the type of clients I see, they are, it's about holistic mental health services, Um, holistic sexuality services as well. So the people who actually reach out to my office, and I'm so proud to be able to say this, is um, come from a diverse background. And that's intentional for my office. So we have people who are diverse in sexuality, diverse in their gender identity, um, cis women, cis men across the board, They're coming to the office because of things from anxiety to depression, to sex therapy, sexuality education, want to enhance intimacy and orgasms in their relationship. The spectrum is broad. And I'm so glad that I'm able to work with them and um, have other clinicians as well at the office now who can provide similar services. How did you get into this space? What's your mama say when you tell her? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, auntie. Um, So, yeah. So when I first, that's a great, 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 great question. Um, When I first started off, it was, I mean, you can imagine I'm coming from this small town in Virginia, the small Petersburg, Virginia, and no one even talked about sex. 
So for me to get to the point in my life where I was very vocal that I wanted to study it intentionally, Mm -hmm. the looks that I received, like (laughs) (laughs) the names, you know, people just, they instantly went in another direction. I think mom handled it well. She was quiet and just, okay. Okay. Um, That's what they say to us when they don't know what to say. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But now that she knows fully what I do, um, now she's on board. And so the good thing is, as a sexuality educator, when I'm providing education, I can help people across the country, all over the world. So the therapeutic clinical piece, Mm -hmm. my license is in Florida. And so I do more than therapy component in Florida. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, how long if, Oh, I was going to ask a question. So how long about how many years of experience do you, would you say you have in the field? And is there a portion of your practice that uh, you're really passionate about that really kind of excites you? Yeah. So I've been, I've been officially deemed able to do this work, like degreed and licensed. <laughs> um, gosh. Stand, oh, I'm going to date myself. Um, since 2002 so like licensed kind of doing work but I started off so early when I realized in my own community that people were coming to me y'all people were coming to me with questions in middle school high school college like Mm -hmm. they had anal sex and tried to figure out if they were pregnant and I was like oh let's talk let's let's (laughs) let's talk you know just anatomy like let's just kind of have a conversation um And when I knew that I could have those types of conversations, I started studying on my own so that I could help my friends. It really started that way. Mm. Um, And then, of course, I learned that from Dr. Ruth. So I'm going to date myself, but (laughs) 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 until you know, Ruth Westheimer. Yes. Yes. I used to sneak to listen to her show because my mother <laughs> although my mom was probably a lot more relaxed than my grandmother would have I don't know who was more relaxed but anyway I used to sneak to listen mm-hmm. to her show and that's where I learned a lot because my mother like growing up my mother didn't really talk to me about sex or sexuality I had my class at school mm-hmm. and that was all about your menstrual cycle really Mm-hmm. Um, and this was even before, like my brother has done this work in the school system when he lived in St. Louis. They weren't talking about condoms. They were not talking about birth control when I was um, in school. So this was like in the 80s. They were not doing any of that. And so so I learned from Dr. Ruth, just like you. So that's why I was going to ask you, like, where did you get the information from if you were so yeah. young? <laughs> it started with Dr. Ruth. I was so enamored by this little Jewish lady, like I later learned out she was Jewish. She's a little little. Jewish lady with this little squeaky voice. And she had, you know, little, little curly fro kind of. She sure did. And she would talk to people on TV, like in the penis, in the vagina. And I was like, how is she doing this? From coming from a town where no, like people literally got pregnant by immaculate conception where I live. Like no one talked about any of it. So it started there and I would go to the library and I have always been a nerd and I would go into the the book section about sex and I would Mm -hmm. flip through and I would read. It started there, like literally around middle school. I started Mm self-teaching 
and yeah. just kept going. Yeah. I remember getting caught with the encyclopedia <laughs> with the S of encyclopedia, <laughs> looking up encyclopedia, which is so interesting because now, you know, children can just type in the word sex online on their devices and if they don't have parental controls and yeah. learn so much more than that paragraph that was in <laughs> the Britannica. Right. <laughs> than what I learned. So what is okay, one of the, have you ever had a client come to you and you were just completely shocked by what you heard or, you know, something that was so traumatic um, that you've had to work with, with the client? Because I find it interesting that people are so open now mm-hmm. talking yeah. about sex. And, and maybe this is a generalization on my part. Uh, so open now to talk about, you know, sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, 100% honesty. I have not had anyone that I've talked to, worked with up to this point in my life that has shared anything that shocked me at all. Um, And I am, you know, Trey, earlier you asked me, you know, what excites me the most, like what types of, that's, that's what excites me when I have someone come in and they have spent their lifetime with their voice silent about Mm. their sexual interests, their sexual needs, their sexual desires. They, they have been in relationships. They, have been married they are married and my office my space my ears are the first that's hearing the truth of their story Mm. um how they feel that's what excites me that's what invigorates me that's what keeps me going because each time I also teach as well and I've taught sexuality classes for a long time and every time I do it I realize I'm reaching a new population who doesn't know who doesn't know what it feels like to be free in their own bodies um, and to be affirmed for their identity and their worth just as they are. That's such a passion of mine. So anytime someone comes in and says, I've never said this before. I've never said this out loud. And they'll even say like in the therapy office, confidentiality, (laughs) they'll say between you and me. Um, that that's everything to me. And, um, and I honor it. I honor being able to be a part of that journey. But that tells you a lot about, you know, our society. I'm sorry, Trey. I go ahead. I know you're um, excited. I am too. I'm gonna get my questions. Don't worry. <laughs> so that just, that tells you a lot about, you know, and this is a belief system that Trey and I share is how important it is to have someone that you can talk to about things that you, when you can't talk to anyone else. And we are huge proponents of therapy mm-hmm. and counseling and coaching. Um, and so this is why we're also really excited to have you on the show today to talk to us, to, to encourage people that even this, even your sexuality is something you should be able to bring to your therapist or either you need to find a therapist so that you can talk through some of these things where you feel safe. Yeah. Gotcha. And so my question was, you talked about working with different populations. Have you noticed, um, is there like, not a, a ripe age, but is there like an age in which you see people 
kind of really uh, embracing maybe mental health or coming to see a therapist? Is it kind of maybe once they're past 18 or they might not be in their their parent or guardian's mm-hmm. home? Um, have you seen it before, you know, kind of the age of 18? What are you seeing kind of in terms of when your patients are really embracing this? Have you seen any trends? That is a great question. And I would say yes, that it is actually when people... Um, not only when they are kind of 18, but I see it happen more once they, once they leave their environment of familiarity or comfort, whatever mm. that is. So usually if they have gone away to college, then after they've gone away, they realize this whole other world exists and how they have been perceiving themselves in that world there may be a conflict and then there's help for that. Then they seek me out. And it literally, I can talk to them and, and hear that process mm. for many people. It's, it, it varies when that happens. So for some, it might be when they go off to college, some people don't have that breakaway experience from right. community and awareness until much later in life, yes. much later in life. Um, and, and usually when that happens, and they come in and they realize that this was available. I always hear, I should have done this earlier. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. So let's get into relationships and dating a little bit. So that's what we, we're going to talk about that today. Because we want to get some of y'all out these situationships. <laughs> is, that still a, is that still a thing? Because, you know, I learned that from yes. some of Trey's friends. Trey's friends, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's definitely still a term that's being used. And so we might have to break what, what a situationship down is. What, what's your definition, Auntie? When you don't know what's going on. With you okay. and this person that you, but, but when you don't know what's going with. on, but something going on, yeah, something's happening. Something, something going know. on, but you don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna let Doctor Tamika tell us. So Doctor Tamika, what do you see in the dating area in with young people dating before thirty? Are there any things that you see that are common themes or concerns? Yep, the common themes concerns um, that are out there primarily are there is the comparison so before 30 what I see and what I mean by the comparison um there are people there's this constant need of people to compare especially women to compare where they are in their lives to other women especially with relationships so they're on social media they're on Instagram they're on all these things now TikTok and they're seeing all these things happen and people are bunned up booed up they're on in Aruba. They're in, they're like doing all the things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they're feeling like their lives are void. They don't have a partner. They, if they do have a partner, their partner isn't taking them to do all these amazing things. So they get caught in the trap of comparison, not really understanding all that's behind the photo. They just see the photo and they're trying to live up to the photo. So that's, that's one thing that I've seen a lot um, in a theme that's coming out. Um, and the other thing that I see that is really pervasive for those under 30 is um, kind of, I call it the failure syndrome, and it's the failing to be authentic. Mm. So they desire to be usually out of the comparison or because family dynamics or media movies tell you you're supposed to be in a relationship. They're doing so much of changing who they are to fit what a partner wants 
that they're not being authentic to themselves. And so many times they're in, a, in relationships that I'm happy and they want the person to change. But the fact of the matter is when they started the relationship, they weren't authentic with themselves. So the partner was like, I like to go out every weekend. I like to turn up like, yeah, get money. Like, you know, and, and they met them out at a club. So they're like, yeah, get money. <laughs> but inside they're, they're the type of person who would be fine at home every day, mm-hmm. weekends too, reading a book or going to the park. That's what they authentically want to do, but because they wanted to be booed up so bad, and this was their opportunity, mm. yeah, they out every weekend and miserable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. I think you kind of hinted to maybe you know, especially with women, maybe comparing themselves with social media. I'm gonna make sure the guy's perspective is brought. Is there anything with any maybe your um, uh, male clients or any that you see any? kind of trends before 30 that that you may that you want to talk about yes okay for guys <laughs> for oh guys <laughs> yes. we got a big old yes yeah because it's for sure <laughs> yes it's such a thing and it always weighs heavy on my heart for guys they are always coming with this feeling that they are responsible for being the provider mm. that they have so much on their shoulders about they, they got to make it happen. They got to make it do what it do. Like, yeah. no matter what, no matter what they're sacrificing. So not only do they have to be the provider, they have to show up physically in a certain way. They also can't be like, quote unquote, punks, like they use those words to, to their boys. So they got to be able to showboat a little bit and make sure they're not too deep in with this girl because they got to be able to like there's so much they're navigating socially and when i talk to them one-on-one it's like man i love that girl i just want to they just want to they know who they want they know who they want to be with but they don't feel adequate because they not Mm. they don't have enough yet they don't have enough money they don't they haven't arrived at this whatever this imaginary status is they have Yeah, which I think is so unfair because I there was a young lady I was talking to and she was telling me all these things she wanted in a guy, you know, him to be, you know, confident and be established in his career to have money to have this. I mean, she had a really long list. And I said, oh, so you like dating older men. She's in her 20s. And she was like, well, no, I want to date someone my age. I said, well, he won't have those things. I said, do you have those things? Like, you have to think about it. If you're 26, Mm -hmm. he's 26. Just because he is a man does not mean that his 26 is different significantly than yours. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where some of that pressure goes on. And I think a lot of women don't realize that they're putting that sort of pressure on their man. um, But they're, you guys are the same age. If you want that list and you probably should be dating a 40 year old man, because it's going to take him, you know, another 15 years to get to what you are looking for. You know, she wants somebody to you know, open every jar and know how to talk to a contractor. (laughs) When the last time he negotiated something with a contractor. So I think to your point, and I think, so how can we get men and women to, to be more open in conversation about those pressures? How can we, how can they do that in the dating process? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, part of that is um, really getting rid of what I call those social scripts of what things are supposed to be. A lot of times we learn those things at home. So there are grandmas and aunties and uncles and everybody telling, saying in a girl's ear, you know, that man ain't about nothing. He ain't no good. He don't have a job. He don't have all these things. So the, the messaging becomes if I'm with a guy, when I get with him, he must be, he must already have established mm. himself at a certain level. Um, he can't be living at home with his parents. He can even though his decision might be one to help him save money so that he can get to where he needs to go. He's immediately like pushed aside. Um, so a lot of it is getting rid of those social scripts and just being uh, again, my ho- I always push this when I'm talking to, um, to individuals is about being authentic. If you kind of like what you said, auntie, you want someone to come to the table with something, I often ask, what are you willing to meet them at the table with? And sometimes mm. that becomes, well, you know, I'm all that anyway. They fortunate to be with me. <laughs> oh, oh, I, okay. I, wonderful and great self-esteem. And I'm big up in it. And that's awesome. But a partnership is a partnership. And so being willing to say, okay, here are the things that I'm looking for. Here are the things that I desire. Where are you in your process of going in that direction versus do you have these things right now? Where are you in your process? What are your goals? What are your vision? Are different conversations to have Mm -hmm. versus immediately scrapping somebody because they're not already fully established. Caveat being, but if that's what you desire, that's what you desire. So you also need to be authentic about what your desires are. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've kind of brought up some conversations that will need to happen or some self-reflection that will need to happen as well. So kind of from a timeline perspective. So talk about when you first start getting to know someone, you meet them, you're going through the dating process. What are the best times to have these conversations with yourself and then kind of with the other person? Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Okay, I had to pause because <laughs> it's right. a, yeah, because only because it depends on your reason for dating. So okay. people have different reasons for dating. So first, before you start dating, you want to ask yourself, "What am I looking for?" Before you even start dating, you need to ask yourself, "What are you looking for? Are you looking for something? Are you looking for a relationship?" Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a relationship, what does the relationship mean to you? Like you really want to be clear about that right. and so that you can put that out there. Are you looking to connect with someone, find what you have in common, spend days and time together, work towards a possible future together, longevity, monogamous, like, is that where you are? Are you looking for, I don't want to really be alone on the weekends. I want someone to hang out with. Right. Or are you looking for... I want someone to call when I need to make a call. Like, be honest about wherever you are in mm-hmm. that process. And then in the beginning, my thing is always in the beginning, say what you mean and mean what you say. I have a, heard a lot of women, Dr. Tamika, say that they don't want to mm-hmm. tell a guy that they're looking for a committed, monogamous relationship that's going to lead to marriage because they're afraid that he is going to like bounce. You know, I mean, like, I'm out. That's not what I want. 
should they still be honest if they're still attracted to this person? Should they hold back those true desires at any point just to see? Yeah, great question. If you know that you desire to have a committed relationship with someone, be honest and let them know. If you're afraid that they're going to bounce because of that, then their bouncing is a good thing for you because what you need, they're not able to provide. So save yourself both time. And what usually happens, yeah, what usually Mm -hmm. happens is they try to hold that back for fear that they're going to leave and then do all the things that are inauthentic to themselves Mm. to to try to show that this is why you should change your mind and consider committing. And when you commit, I'm the one (laughs) because I'll do all these things. Um, so what's the fear of being honest up front and letting somebody tell you up front whether they can or cannot fulfill your desires? That that's actually a great thing to do. I encourage it all the time. And and I got a question too. So this is kind of gonna be maybe from a brother's perspective or or maybe give some guidance. So say or anyone. Say, for instance, there is someone who is not looking for something serious. Um, You know, the conversation has come up. They might not necessarily be looking to be in a monogamous relationship at the time. Um, Do they have a responsibility? What is their role in this now? Do um, Do they need to communicate verbally what their wants and their desires are? Do their actions need to be consistent? Like, what happens... How does, you know, sometimes I feel like that's when the situationship starts is when it gets messy, when words and actions might not be um, uh, in, like congruent. So how do, can you speak about that, like words and actions and, you know, meaning what you say and saying what you mean? Yeah, people are scared to talk, Trey. I don't know. <laughs> I do get it. You know, in a therapeutic world, I do get it. But there's so much power that happens when people just communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. That's what happens. And so what should happen is, you know, you don't really want a relationship, yep. but you like her. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't want to be alone. Yeah. And okay. you want to do the things. You want to yep. do all the things. So y'all, y'all hang out and you do the things. What you should do is communicate that in the beginning. Right. I'm not looking for a relationship. Uh, I do. I I am interested in you. I do like you. I want to hang out. But I know right now that's not what I'm looking for. Now, she, let's just say he says that she has every right and should say, you know, we've been doing this hanging out thing for the past two or three months. You you want to come over every weekend. You want to do this and do that. Here are my here are my boundaries. So if we're not going towards a relationship, then this is this is the limit of what I'm willing to do with you. Like and boundaries out every weekend. And it can change, right? It can progress. So I think that's so can you speak about that? Like checking in and making sure. But you still gotta have a conversation, right? Agree. Yeah, 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 that's that's the whole thing. thing. Have a conversation because with her saying that, for instance, in this same scenario, he might come back and say, well, when we started, that's where I was. But since I've been hanging out with you, I'm kind of feeling a little different. And she could right. go, oh, well, thanks for letting me know because I was still operating like this is not where we were going. So yep. the boundaries, the lines, they can all move and shift, mm-hmm. but you have to communicate about it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And it just saves you so much heartache and mental and emotional 
anxiety and stress. I think that's mm-hmm. what yeah. comes up in the relationships is if I want to know something and something concerns me, I'm bothered by something, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid to have the conversation either because I don't want to have conflict or I don't want to get my feelings hurt because he might not say what I want him to say. And I don't know if this is true, but if you feel like he's not going to say what you want him to say, he probably not going to say what you want him to say. Yeah. <laughs> oftentimes, yeah, oftentimes I tell people, if you're feeling like once when you're in a relationship, if you feel like you can't use your voice it's for one or two reasons. One, historically, life has taught you that when you use your voice, there's a negative consequence. So you've used the silence, you've become used to silence in your voice. It doesn't mean that your current context, the current relationship won't support the use of your voice, but internally you've internalized Mm -hmm. that you're not able to speak your truth and use your voice. So that's something that through therapy with support, you can, you can be assisted with. The other reason people often don't use their voice is because they feel like in their current context, they're not safe to use their voice and safety has a has a, a broad meaning. Mm. So it could mean that I've learned that when I speak up, when I say what I want, when I use my voice, that we're going to have an argument. There's going to be a conflict. Such and such is going to shut down. Whatever it is, it's going to be a consequence that doesn't feel inviting to continue to use your voice. So then you end up with people walking on eggshells or not saying what they saying what they need to say. And that's the number one reason that relationships have demise. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. And you've talked about kind of, you know, people's intentions or reasons for getting in relationships. One example you said potentially loneliness. Um, yeah. and just thinking about like COVID-19 and having the social distance. Um, a lot of our peers, Shauna and I, like they're in relationships now. So we get in everybody asking for a plus one to the wedding now because relationships have either accelerated or manifested what for whatever reason but can you talk a little bit about kind of how and I'm not sure if you have any clients that have, have dealt or struggled with this but how COVID-19 um, is impacting our ability to be in relationship and how it's impacted dating um, I guess for the the better or for the worse yeah so what was interesting when it when COVID-19 first hit the scene um People who were dating were really petrified about it. Um, the experiences that I had with clients and people that I, clients that I work with, the people that that I know, it was how am I going to meet people? I can't even get connected to them. What am I going to do? Um, and then, of course, they learned technology, navigation, and, and navigating technology. And then shortly thereafter, they were like, "COVID, no COVID, we making this happen." <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> So yeah. COVID was not a fact that people were just coughing together. They oh, were like, yeah. we're going to make it do what it do. Right. Uh, so yeah. that's what I saw happen okay. for dating. Um, with relationships, I saw that when people were required to be together, mm-hmm. to be present together, some of the cracks were highlighted um, in the yeah. relationship. They could no longer make the excuse of, I got to go to work. I got to go do. You could only be and be present yep. and now that yeah. you're present what do you do and so yeah that was impactful for people no that's right they, they didn't like each other mm-hmm. yeah well i would say just you know it, it, it's it was a culture shift for all of us you know i definitely talked about it you know before like you know being away from my wife for eight nine hours and now we're both working together in a small one-bedroom apartment so spending that much time with each other, the conversation of what's for lunch. We never had to have that conversation. Now we both here for lunch and we're asking each other, what's for lunch? Who's cooking? Where are we going? So 
I completely agree. Like, you know, whether you were in the dating or in relationship, um, you know, if there was someone in the picture, you know, that brought one set of potential, you know, the set of different circumstances versus, you know, you know if, even if you were single. So. And I think, you know, that is should be a learning lesson for people around dating is really getting to a place where you spend enough time with someone to get to know if you really like them. Right. It's one thing to be attracted to. It's another thing to be infatuated by. Um, it's something else to be passionate about physically. But then you have to realize, do we actually like one another? Like how you talk to me, mm-hmm. like how you handle stress, you know, get to see them in different situations, I believe. Right. If you only have been with someone and y'all only see each other happy, you've never seen the other person angry or upset. Or am I really old school about that? Because I want to see how you act when you're mad. And I hate to play games. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, when we don't get to see, my grandparents used to say in the different seasons. So what do you think mm. about that, Dr. Tamika? Like the seasons of life that you get to see people in, it does, is, is that important in the dating process? It, you know, it is important in the dating process to be able to observe how that goes. Um, and I, and I kind of go a little bit further and say, even in your observation, are you willing to, to acknowledge it for its truth? You know, kind of how um, my Angelo says, when people show you who they are, believe them. Mm-hmm. So sometimes even in the dating phase, when, when we see things that clearly say, okay, I'm spending time with this person. And I realize that after the honeymoon phase, all they want to do is play on their PlayStation all day long. Like every spare moment, that's all they want to do. And when I try to say something, it annoys them. And then they'll say to themselves, oh, but, you know, that's probably just for now. Once we really get together, once we get married, once we have a family, that's so changed. And they usually don't say anything. So, yes, it's important to observe it through the seasons. That's great. I support that. And believe what you see. And if you have concerns about it, use your voice and speak about it. I definitely agree. It's funny. Shauna and I, we used to watch the Black Love series on um, uh, the OWN Network. And that was something that really resonated with both of us. I think it was Viola Davis was saying, if this person never changes a day in their life, like, can you accept them and love them through that? So behaviors, you know, whatever it is, mannerisms, personality, if they never change, like, could you accept them and love them through that? So, um, no, that was definitely critical. And then Mm -hmm. you talked about... um, you know, just kind of what to be mindful of. Are there any red flags? Like, no, turn away. Like, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. (laughs) Run. Like, are there any red flags in a relationship where it's just like, yeah, this is something that it it rubbed me the wrong way. It might, let me not try to justify this. Let, this is a sign that I need to like, you know, this is over. Or I need to try to get out of this. Yeah. There are many red flags. There are numerous red flags. (laughs) And I'll I'll just be honest about that. There are numerous red flags. The red flags are not about the people, about kind of this person is bad or this like run away from this person. It's more about know yourself and know your capacity and what you're willing to deal with, tolerate, and what you're not willing to deal with and tolerate. Mm. You have to know yourself in the process. 
and knowing yourself, then you can identify the red flag. So for instance, if you know, if you know that you have a pet peeve about cleanliness, you know that you do. And you're dating someone, you're hanging with someone, you get in their car, their car is a mess. You go visit their place, their place is a mess, like all the time. You know that's going to bother you. Yeah. So why why set yourself up for that and expect this person to just clean or then say, you know what? Thank you. I'll just I'll just work <laughs> around that. I'll clean. I'll take care of it. That, yeah. And then we're six months or six years in and you're in the therapist's office yelling about the fact that you got to clean all the time. Right. And he'd be like, well, I thought you liked it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. So mm-hmm. that's really where I say the red flags are. Yeah. What, what would you say even further down the road in the red flag? Mm-hmm. I, I've read quite a few articles that talked about dating abuse mm-hmm. um, and and some of them were more extreme than others. And I know I, and I agree with you, this kind of knowing yourself, like I grew up in a household where there was not a lot of yelling um, like my mother wasn't she didn't curse and this is not a judgment on anybody but it's just mm-hmm. you know that we we just the kids we argued but the adults she didn't we didn't see that mm-hmm. um and so I know when I first started dating I had a hard time working through disagreement and argument because I immediately talked felt like it made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. I you know it was like why are we arguing are we about to break up and you know I used to feel like that a lot before I turned 30 and didn't understand mm-hmm. that. But I think there's this piece too that kind of, cause I've had friends who were in abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. So are there any things that you would see that women and men should be particularly concerned about as it pertains to their safety around verbal and physical abuse? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, yes, so with those, there are some very specific things um first and foremost it's when I'm with this person do I feel safe like that's just a question to ask yourself like when I'm with this person do I feel safe in my skin do I feel comfortable around them am I constantly on edge am I afraid that something's going to happen if I say something I may not I mean, know that this person will never raise a hand to me, but if I say something or do something wrong, will they insult me? Um, how, how are they going to treat me out in public? Things like that. Um, also, if you find that you are constantly financially giving and supporting and expected to do that, and if mm. you don't, there's a negative consequence, but you're not getting any benefit from that. We have financial abuse, we have emotional abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse that happens in relationships mm-hmm. that people with your partner that you have consented with to have sex with. But it's also an experience that if you don't, then there's a negative consequence where they are angry with you, they are frustrated with you, they um, don't want to talk to you, they shut down from you they do something else. That's a form of manipulation. And that's a form of abuse because at this point it's have sex with me or else that's the undercurrent. And oftentimes people don't recognize that within relationships, Mm. there can be sexual assault, sexual abuse, even if you've previously consented, if it's something that you don't feel like doing and someone forces you to do that, that's an assault. And so those are things to, to be mindful of and aware of. And, The other really key flag is 
when people are attempting to um, isolate. So if you're Mm. in a relationship and people, your partner doesn't want you to hang out with other people, they start to kind of pull you away from family and pull you away from friends. That's a red flag as well. Yeah, run, run, run. Because I I would hate for any of our nieces and nephews. I think a lot of times we think about abuse from the standpoint of a man abusing a woman. But there's, you know, there are men who may not even want to call it that, right? Because of masculinity and pride, Mm -hmm. but they can. And I also, you know, I talked about, you know, dating abuse. I meant that even for all types of couple formations. Yeah. Um, I was talking with a friend, he's gay, and he was talking about the high number of, the high percentage of abuse in the gay community. Mm. And I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I was, but I was shocked by that. Yeah, it's very high in marginalized communities, um, even more so because they feel that they can't report because there's Mm. already stigma. So if you are someone who is LGBTQ plus identified, if you are someone who is in a poly relationship, if you engage in kink, if you are someone who is undocumented, there are a variety of ways that you feel that you can't say anything or do anything because externally um, or in other aspects, you're already marginalized, disenfranchised, and you don't feel like you're going to be supported. So oftentimes people feel stuck dealing with the relationship or risk hearing other people say, well, you shouldn't be in that or doing that anyway. Um, so it's very mm-hmm. difficult. Yeah. You you know, I feel like I need of a, 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 a dictionary. So I heard <laughs> a word that I'm not familiar with. What is key? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. (laughs) Can we explain that on the podcast? So kink is a term that some people use uh, when describing engaging in sexual behaviors that may be different from, I don't use this word. Um, I don't often use this word, but I'm just going to use it for the audience for comparison. Mm -hmm. So engaging in behaviors that differ from the norm. Um, Therapists, we don't really like to use that word because norm is a bell curve with meaning, meaning, and emote, and that's a whole other thing. But when you think about society, um, Mm -hmm. kink might be, for instance, your your sadomasochism. So, you know, something people are familiar with, your S&M, that might be some bondage, that may be some, and and it goes further and it goes broader. Yeah, Mm -hmm. wider. So there are a variety of things in the kink community that people participate in, but they feel like they can't speak about it or be open about it because they'll be judged for what they're into, what they Mm -hmm. do and what they enjoy. That was all the stuff that they used to show on HBO's Real Sex. <laughs> so that was in my head, like, oh, those. And I would sit there and be like, oh, people do that? Oh, my God. You know, because with no judgment, just shock. Like, this yeah. is so much I don't know. So yeah. I, I want to talk about one other thing before we end. You know, I got, I got another question. But go okay, ahead. well, we might not end the show, y'all. Y'all yeah. might do part one, two, and three. Right. So I'm thinking a little bit about um, compatibility. Mm-hmm. in dating. So we've talked mm-hmm. about a lot of things, but we really had, you know, things to be aware of and concerned about. And, um, but when you think about compatibility, I, I have this thing around, you know, two, two concepts that I'd like for you to address when it comes to c- compatibility, um, family relationship de- backgrounds and dynamics, like do mm-hmm. certain people, um, 
connect better because they have similarities. Um, like if you grew up in a family that was married versus, you know, a single mother or abuse or things like that. And then the other um, is related to energy. You know, these concepts around masculine and feminine energy and when couples come together with same or opposing energy, which ones are most compatible? Or is that is there a such thing as yeah. compatibility? Yeah. That was there a lot, is. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is. And this is a whole topic on its own. Um, that really people find very interesting. And I'm going to be doing some work on this later. But um, so part of it, yes, of course, yes. If you're coming from similar backgrounds, you can understand each other. And you have less description that you have to do in understanding (laughs) each other's family and background. So if you're from a family that they're loud, they get together all the time and your family does the same thing that when y'all get together, you get it, you understand it. Versus if you come from a more, a more muted family and you're with this loud family and every time you go around, you're like, ah, then it's kind of working through that. So background can be helpful, but I find that people from diverse and mixed backgrounds, absolutely compatible, wonderful relationships. What impacts it more is getting to a little bit of what you're talking about on teaching me, which is the the energy. In uh, the therapy education world, we're looking at styles of connection. So we're looking at your love style. We're looking at your attachment style. We're looking at your love language. We're kind of putting some of those things together. And there are some of those that go better together than others. It still doesn't mean that you're not compatible. Mm-hmm. What it means is that you have to understand the other person's love style, the other person's love language, the other person's attachment style. You have to understand yours and the other person and then how they will work together. But usually what happens is the styles are different enough that each person is looking at the other person like they're wrong and they need to come over to their style. Mm -hmm. And that's where the conflict ensues. Once you break it down and help people understand how they show up, and I say, how do you show up as a love being? Once people understand how they show up as a love being, then they can communicate that style to the other person. And then the energies can learn to intertwine together. And it becomes a beautiful thing. So I've seen that happen multiple times with understanding and patience. And you you brought up um, love languages, and I'm going to put a plug here because we actually did the apologies language. And a lot of people don't hear about that, but can you talk about the apology language just a little bit? So people, that's another, I think, level of understanding as well. Yes, the apology language, yeah. thanks, Trey, is huge <laughs> yeah. because people focus so much on the good times. They don't yep. realize how to engage when things aren't going so well. And we all have a way that we interpret, I'm sorry. And the authenticity of that. And so the apology language is a a quiz that you can take just like the love language quiz. It's free online. So just type in love language. (laughs) When you go to the love language uh, website, you can take the love language quiz for free. There's also a tab to take your apology language. And there it will describe to you once you answer, how do you like to be apologized to? And that is so helpful because for some people, they want to hear... I'm sorry, I was wrong for what I did. Moving forward, I plan to. Some people want to hear that. Some people just want to hear, I'm sorry, I want to do it again. 
they don't want you to go into the extra because yeah. that gets into an excuse. And then they're like, ah, ah. so that's important. Some people want restitution. Yes. Make me, make me whole. Make, make me whole. whole. Make me whole. Over and over again. <laughs> Come on. Come on now. Yes. 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 So knowing your apology language is good. Yeah. And I'll just kind of put that plug in there and say, this is good for parents and children to do as well. Mm. Um, because oftentimes in relationships, especially if you're bringing together mixed families, this it's good to know how you relate to each other and how to apologize to each other. Some conflicts in relationships happen out of conflicts in the family unit. And this is, can be good to use. So you're touching on family. And I know that, you know, this was a part of our kind of premarital counseling. When, what role should parent, should family play in a relationship? Um, when should they be introduced? How, how do you bring family into kind of what you're building with one person or should it even matter at all? And before you answer, Dr. Tamika, because we were on Clubhouse, remember, Trey, we did mm-hmm. the room on Clubhouse and the, we had more people talk about the impact and the stress that their parents yep. pressure around their relationships, primarily to, to expedite to marriage mm-hmm. uh, was on them. And I thought it was just so strange. I'm like, you're so young. You're in your 20s. No offense to people who are. But even right. Trey and I talked about this. Like, yeah. you know, Sean is young. Are you sure? Yeah. And when I got to meet Sean and I was like, oh, she's pretty mature for, you know, her age now. And, you know, but I wasn't I was the opposite. Like, y'all sure y'all ready? <laughs> <laughs> like, slow down. You sure? But to hear parents. So to Trey's question, like. How do you handle your parents when you're dating? Yeah, this is a this is a tough one sometimes um, for people. First, when you're dating, um, if you know you're going toward the phase where you want to be in something long term, be honest about the role that family plays in your life. If you have a very involved family, please let the person know that you have a very involved family <laughs> at the beginning. Like, let them know. The other person might get it and understand, or the other person may not understand at all because of the type of family they came from, where there was not that intermingling. Um, so it's important to get that out in the beginning. When it comes to, all right, we're ready. My family has a role. We're ready to introduce one another. Before you introduce, you and your partner have to have, be on the same page and have an understanding about your expectations. Who are you as a couple? What are your boundaries as a couple? You are dating each other. You're not dating your family. And so when you are on the same page and you have a clear definition, then when you talk to your families, you're giving the same message. They, are, they know the boundaries. You, set those, you have to set those boundaries. If you don't set those boundaries, your family is going to set them for you. That's really important. Yeah, so y'all better speak up. I think, oh my gosh, this show has been so good. <laughs> it has been so good. Go, I, 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 got, I got more time. You, you got, got something? Free, free, we got free relationship advice right. today. Thank you, Dr. Tamika. I think, you know, we, we are going to be back next week. Um, we, we're coming back next week. So y'all listen, um, or either you started listening, you might want to hold out so you can get the whole package all at once. The whole package. But I hope y'all were taking notes. Cause she took us to school. She did. 
took us to school. So we want y'all to come back next week because it's part of our love and relationship series. The second part of this conversation we're going to get into is love and sex, like kind of getting into a lot more detail about, you know, when to enter into a sexual relationship with someone that you're dating or that you've met or what does it mean? Right. Right. Does it, is it what Trey always tells me a social construct? Like it's just (laughs) (laughs) all made up, just made up. So Trey, let's, uh, Dr. Tamika, tell us how, tell our audience, um, how they can get in touch with you. If you have a website, uh, the name of your practice. Uh, so if they want to reach out, they can reach out to you. Sure. Yeah. So the name of my practice is Hope and Serenity Health Services. And you can find me on the, uh, my website is uh, hopeserenityhealth.com. And also I'm on Facebook as well, um, Instagram, Twitter, even though I'm still learning how to work those things. <laughs> so, but you can find me on there. Absolutely. So, so well, we want y'all to slide yes. into her DMs and tell her how yes. wonderful this conversation was. And if you yes. learned something, let mm-hmm. us all know. And I'm letting y'all know now, reach out sooner than later. Word on the street, Dr. Tamika be booking quick. So reach out now. Okay. Right. And you know, when we all get a chance to gather in person or through one of our virtual events in the future, we would love to have you back, Dr. Tamika, to take some questions from, you know, this audience. They are so more... much more transparent around these topics than I remember being when I was in my twenties. But I think these are conversations that need to be had. So we, again, we want to thank you for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. And I'd love to come back and take some questions. All right. Well, we'll be back next week for the second part of our love and relationship conversation, talking about love and sex. And just remember at before 30, you are a masterpiece and a work in progress. Thank you for listening to the Before 30 Podcast. Help us grow by subscribing and commenting on today's show. The Before 30 Podcast is owned and operated by Before 30 LLC. Be sure to connect with us on our website at before-30.com and follow and like us at Before 30 on all social media platforms.